Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're going through the book of Job and this evening we're up to Job chapter 31. So let's read from Job 31 verse 1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. For what is man's lot from God above, his heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked in falsehood, or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbour's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain, and may other men sleep with her, for that would have been shameful, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. If I have denied justice to my men's servants, my maidservants, when they had a grievous against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one from us both, did not the same one form us both from our mothers? I have, if I have denied the desire of the poor or let the eyes of the widows grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared him as, a, as would a father, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing, or a needy man without a garment, and his heart did not bless him for warming him with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I have influenced in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint, for I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendour I would not do such a thing. If I put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security, if I have rejoiced over my great wealth and fortune my hands than the fortune my hands had gained if i have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon's moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage then these also would be sins to be judged if i would have been unfaithful to god on high if I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune, or gloated over the trouble that came to them, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking curses against his life. If the men of my household never have never said, Who has not had his fill of Job's meat? But no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveller. If I have concealed my sin as men do, by hiding my guilt in my heart, because I so feared the crowd, and so dreaded the contempt of the clans, 
that I kept silent and would not go outside. Or that I have someone to hear me. I sign now my defence. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defence. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land cries out against me, and all its furrows were wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment, or broken the spirit of its tenancy, then let briars come up instead of wheat, and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Shall we pray? Father, we do thank you for this passage that we've read in your presence, and we ask now that as we look at it, you would just guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might draw from this that would you that you would have us learn. And our Father, we do this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, chapter 31 of Job, the final part of Job's final speech. The final speech of Job's that started in chapter 26 and will finish here at the end of chapter 31. And this long speech is more than just a reply to Bildad's final speech. And in chapter 31, it's as if Job stands before the judge and he's there to present his final plea of innocence. He speaks about a covenant, a promise, a promise that he has made with himself. And the promise is that he will live a righteous life. He's not boasting about being self-righteous. He understands the awfulness of sin. He sees the need for sin to be punished and he acknowledges that God, as the righteous judge, has the authority to administer justice. And he knows that he, Job, is a guilty sinner in the eyes of God. But he feels that God has abandoned him and that for some reason he is allowing him, Job, to be punished. Now, Job has already asked the question in chapter 7, verse 21. He said, To God, why do you not pardon my offences and forgive my sins? For I shall soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I shall be no more. See, he recognised the need for repentance and he knows that purification comes from God and it comes by means of sacrifice. If we go back to the first chapter of Job in verse 5, we read that Job would make arrangements for them, this is his children, to purify, to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. You see, Job made these arrangements for his children, but these are the arrangements that he would have made for himself to remain faithful to God. And the things that Job will refer to in chapter 31, they're not meant to be taken as a complete list of sin. It's a generalisation to show us how Job has endeavoured to maintain a clear conscience before God. Now we know that Job obviously lived 
after Adam. That's when sin entered the world. And he was living in days before the promise of the Messiah that was given to Abraham and before the law that was given to Moses. But we also know that the promise of deliverance was given in the days of Adam. And we know that. This is what we read way back in Genesis after Adam sinned. This is Genesis 3 verse 15. And God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and he will strike his heel. So Job is living under the same promise of righteousness by faith. Faith in the one who is still to come. The one who is Jesus. Now we know that Job's hope of acceptance by God would not come from his good works. We've seen that as we've read through the book of Job. and We have seen that Job's hope was in one who would stand as his advocate and plead his case before God. And that if this were to happen, then God would declare Job righteous. Now we know that God has already declared Job as being righteous, but Job doesn't know that. And Job has cried out for a mediator. Job doesn't know that, no, it, but his suffering echoes the suffering of the one who is that mediator, the sufferings of Jesus. And we've seen parallels with this as we've walked through the book of Job. And as we look into the future, that when Jesus comes, the, the righteous one, he will suffer. So let's listen to what Job has to say as we see a pattern that will emerge from this speech or his final speech in this chapter 31. The pattern is, you'll be asking, what is sin? What is God's reaction to sin? What are the consequences of sin and what is the punishment for sin? And you'll see that as we go through this passage, so look out for it. But let's start at verse 1 through to verse 4, and Job is saying, My conscience is clear. Now listen to these verses. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman, for what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? You see, this is a promise that Job will endeavour to live by, to live a moral life. This is spoken in honest, everyday language. He's not saying that he will not recognise and admire the beauty of women. He is saying that he will not lust after them. And he makes this promise in the light of what he knows about God and of what God knows about him. You see, he's saying, if I break this promise that I have made, then I deserve to be punished. But I've not broken it. Now remember, his friends have accused him of walking away from the Lord, deliberately walking away from the Lord, and deliberately living a life of deception, a life of sin. Therefore, in their eyes, Job is justifiably being punished by God. But Job is saying that, on the contrary, 
He's saying that he has made every effort to walk with the Lord. And he doesn't know why he's suffering. And when you come to verse 5 through to 8, we see here something of Job's walk with God. He says, if I have walked with falsehood or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales and I will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. You see the pattern here in the things that Job is saying? And Job's confidence is in the righteous judgments of God. It's because Job knows that if his eyes see something that he should not have, then his heart will desire it. And the next step, and God is observing this, and he knows that, the next step will be that his feet will take him towards it, his hands will take hold of it. And if that happens, then he says, let me be punished for it. But the truth is, that Job has kept this promise, the promise to resist temptation. Now, when we come to the next few verses, 9 through to 12, Job continues on this theme of what we can call morality. He says, If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain, and may other men sleep with her for that would have been wicked, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. You see, Job knows the dangers of sin. And this picture that he's drawing, it's a graphic illustration of infidelity. You know, we need to stop and consider that this is the same illustration that God uses when he speaks of the unfaithfulness of his people. This is also a recognition of the hurt that this can cause. And Job is saying, if I do this, if my actions are there to satisfy the things that I want that would hurt others, then that would cause another person to suffer, then if that is the case, then he's saying of himself, I deserve to suffer in the same way. You know, this reminds us of the passage that we know so well from 2 Samuel, the story of David and Bathsheba. We know that David's eyes saw that he, what he should not have. And this led his heart to desire what he wanted. And his feet led him away from the Lord and he took what was not meant to be his. And he was later challenged by Nathan. And this is what he said in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. We're also reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 to 28. When he said this, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
See, the eyes and the heart. And again, in one of John's letters, John 1 John 2, 15 to 17, he said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Job is endeavouring to do the will of God. Job understands this concept. This concept that John has just shared with us long before the Apostle John wrote it. This has given an insight into the way that Job is thinking, the way Job has been living his life. And when we come to verse 13 through to 15, we move from morality to humanity. Listen to what he says in these verses. If I've denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they have a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? You see, Job, throughout his life, has treated those who he has authority over with dignity and respect. Why? Because he recognises that we are all God's creation. Proverbs 22, verse 2. Listen to what that says. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And then Job is going to move on in this speech. He's going through to verses 16 through to 23. And he's speaking of his generosity to those in need. He's not selfish. He's, he's shared what he has. He says, if I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth, I read them as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the and did not my heart bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep? If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from my shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. For I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendour, I would not do such things. What Job is saying is, if I have not helped the poor, if I have not helped the widow, the orphan, or those who are without the necessities of life, if I have not administered justice without corruption, then punish me. Punish me by removing my power. You see, this is the meaning of what Job said when he said, let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. You know, some of these things are happening to Job, and Job in his speech is saying, look, look, whatever is happening to me is not because of the sin that I have committed. That's been dealt with. The 
for something else and Job doesn't know what it is so he can do no more than to write this 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 defense and when we come to verse 24 to 28 we move from the welfare of others to his wealth and to his worship it's very interesting the way he puts this and he's very direct it's very plain he says if i put my trust in gold or said to pure gold you are my security if i have rejoiced over my great wealth and fortune that my hands had gained he hasn't done that you know we can move forward into the psalms and psalm 62 10 says this do not trust in extortion or put hope in stolen goods Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And Job has not set his heart on them. His heart is set on God. Verse 26. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance or the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage. He's talking about religion here. He's talking about worship. Then in verse 28 he said, Then these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. See, Job is saying that he has not forsaken God. He has not left God and followed the gods of the world. That strange phrase that he uses, he says, And my hand offered, has my hand offered them, a kiss of homage he's saying i haven't been secretly worshiping other gods he hasn't worshiped the gods of the world if we go to 1 kings 18 and this is reference to those who worship baal and listen to the language used here this is what's said in 1 kings verse 18 yet i reserve seven thousand in israel all whose knees have not bowed to baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, Job is saying, I've never indulged in idol worship. I've always worshipped the living God. Let's move on. Let's be moved towards the end of this chapter, verse 29 through to 34. And we could title this, According to Job, Revenge is not sweet to the taste. That's what he's saying here. Let's listen to verse 29 through to 34. If I've rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that, that came to him, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against their life. If those of my household have never said, who has not been filled with Job's meat? But no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveller. If I have concealed my sin, as people do, by hiding my guilt in my heart, because I feared the crowds and so dreaded the contempt of the clans, that I kept silent and would not go outside. This is what his friends have been accusing him of doing. And Job here is proclaiming his innocence. He is saying that he has been faithful to God. He has kept his integrity. And the fact that he is suffering for whatever reason, it's not because of his sin. 
This is an interesting part when we come to Job uh, verse 35 through to 37 because we, we know what Job has been saying. We know the things that he's been been claiming. We know that what he wants. And this is again his call for a mediator. Verse 35, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. Sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put this indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. You know, a little point of interest here. The last letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Tav. It's T-A-V, which means a mark, referring to a seal or a signature. So when Job says, I sign now my defense, he means that he will submit what he has just said and he'll submit it as his final defense in his claim for innocence, and he will put his seal on it. Now Job knows that if he has an advocate, an advocate who will take this plea to the presence of God, who is the judge, then he knows that he, Job, will be acquitted. So he asks a question, and you can imagine this being in a courtroom. This is verse 38 to 40, and his question is, where is the evidence of my unfaithfulness to the Lord? My suffering is not an evidence of my unfaithfulness. I don't know what it is, but it's certainly not evidence of my unfaithfulness to God. And he goes here to a passage we can read in Deuteronomy about the land and how the land should be treated when they move in, when the the Israelites moved into the promised land. But just for this evening, let's listen to these words and hear what Job is saying. He's saying, look, where's the evidence? If my land cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears, then maybe that's evidence of my guilt. If I have devoured its shield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, well, maybe if I've done that, that would be an evidence of my suffering. He goes on in verse 40, Then let briars come up instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. See, Job is saying, look, there's no evidence. There's no evidence that indicates that I'm suffering because of my sin. And then we have this final bit from this passage. The words of Job are ended. Now Job will speak again, but he will not make any more speeches. When he speaks next, he will be answering to God. What we have heard from Job this evening reminds us of the plea that David made to the Lord. We find this in Psalm 17 and verse 3. And this is really what what Job is asking God to do. Now David in Psalm 17 said this, 
me speaking to God, though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. This is exactly what Job is saying in this speech. And as we said at the beginning, Job is not saying these things about himself to impress God by telling the Lord how good he is and relating all the good things that he does. Job, we know, sees himself as a sinner, a sinner who has been accepted by God. But he doesn't understand why he's suffering. But he's just like those of us who know Jesus as our saviour and we have Jesus as our mediator. Sometimes we can go through times of suffering and we, like Job, might not know why, but we know that it's not because of the sins that we have committed. And Job knows this despite what his so-called friends are saying about him. Just as we close this evening, how about a word from the Apostle Paul? This is a word from uh, Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to read it to you, verse 4 through to 8, and maybe you can read it through again later. And just consider it in the light of what Job has just told us about himself. This is Romans 8, verse 4 to 8. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However... To the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. You know, this is how we stand as those sinners who have been saved by the power of what Jesus did on the cross. And this is the same ground that Job stands on. Now, although Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far, and Job have finished speaking, there's another person called Elihu who has been there all the time, and so far he said nothing. Yet, he's straining at the at the, the bit or the leash to get a word in. And he has a lot that he wants to say. But we'll listen to some of that next time. Let's just pray as we close. Our Father, we thank you again for your word, and sometimes we do find it difficult to understand. And we don't claim to understand that all that the book of Job is saying to us. But our Father, you know what we need. You know the encouragement that we need. And we know that whatever situation we are in, we can be encouraged by your word. And we pray that that will have happened this evening. That you will have encouraged us. Also that you will have challenged us. And our Father, we pray that we might just take these things which you have taught us this evening by the power of your Holy Spirit and that we can apply them to ourselves and to our daily lives as we endeavour to walk with the Lord. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.